Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. Well, winter is back, so I'm happy, and uh, Jorna Taylor is with us. Jorna is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna, good to have you back. Good morning. Great to have you. And, as always, Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, how you doing? Uh, good morning, everyone. So we're, we're into our second week of Trump. I, I know it may feel like our second year already, um, but we are going to start the podcast talking about Trump and some of the things that are happening at our federal level before we get to state issues, which we know is our primary reason for existence. But there's so much to talk about at the federal level that is critically important uh, here in our state. Um, but I wanted to start first by talking a little bit and actually just saying... Um, we're really impressed by sort of the response of progressives, um, both here in the state, but also nationally to these attacks on democracy that we've really seen launched by Trump uh, since he has taken office. Uh, what happened over the weekend uh, at airports around the country with the Muslim ban, what we've been seeing at um, congressional offices around a host of issues, including the Affordable Care Act, the immigration community, and uh, the activities that have uh, gone on around there. And of course, and this will lead us into one of our first topics, um, the activity around uh, fighting Betsy DeVos, who is uh, supremely unqualified, I think my brother I saw using that term, which I think is absolutely That's perfect. Nice. It's absolutely perfect. <laughs> so Jorna, I want to get your thoughts just broadly on, you know, just sort of how we're as progressives and uh, I guess the protectors of democracy responding in this time of peril. But then uh, let's, uh, w I do want to talk about the DeVos nomination. Yeah. So obviously, people have been resisting, right? They've been taking it to the streets. There's been, holy cow, a lot of badness that has happened these first two weeks. Um, it's It's been aggressive. I'm trying to be kind here for a moment and say that it's, it's been really a significant, serious overreach. I think we all expected that it would be bad. I don't know that um, we thought that airplanes would be turned around mid-air, essentially, to um, you know take people back and kick them out of the country. I mean, that it's fascinating it's as a political science study it is fascinating as a human being it's atrocious and horrifying yeah, essentially rights reversed while in air yeah so i mean you know what have progressives done and how should we react i think we're reacting the proper way we're staying vigilant we're we're protesting we're trying to help people we're supporting um you know folks who need our help and who who are us and so we need to continue to keep up that pressure and I know it's really hard and I know we're in for the long haul and if you look on Facebook there's all this you know these articles about how to stay engaged but take a media break there's no time for a break I'm sorry like the outrage has to stay at the highest levels because otherwise we're going to become complacent yeah I mean look we've already had 20 executive orders and uh, we're not even done with two and that's weeks. not governing right yeah, that's not the checks and balances system that we're supposed to have not that's at all. just an overreach by a brand new president who wants to see how far he can push us Robert well, I agree it's heartening, and I think that there was the initial shock of what Trump said during the campaign, then the shock of Trump being elected, now the shock that he meant at least some of it, <laughs> right? And each shock is, is, is a shock to the system. Uh, I think he meant more of it on civil rights than he did on any of his popula alleged populism around outsourcing and, and economic you know, opportunity. That's, I think, what we'll find out as we move forward. In fact, 
uh, he's all, he's going after workers and exec, some of the executive orders. There's nothing defending workers in any executive order so far. And Jorna put it absolutely on the head. It's about who us is. And so the debate between the new rancid populist Trump Republican Party and progressives is who is included in us. We think that immigrants who, quite frankly, if we hadn't had large-scale immigration from people all over the world uh, who are inspired by American democracy and economic opportunity, we wouldn't be the country we are, uh, anything like it. And it's still happening. It didn't end in the 19th century. It's been happening all along, and it's adding strength to the country. It's bringing all sorts of vibrancy and all sorts of, quite frankly, uh, new ideas. And it makes us not just a big, powerful country that's relatively rich on a word scale, it makes us more representative of the world, right? Which is, which is a vision that's, that, that's really important, uh, I think, to the whole future of the world, that, we are, uh, that we're the most diverse nation and becoming more and more diverse. We'll be a majority-minority country in the future, and there is a backlash against that. Um, so Van Jones put it very well after the election that there was a white lash and so this is the backlash against the white lash, if you want to play on what Van was saying. So, but what we do have to get to is resistance won't be enough. Resistance is critical and essential step, but we do need to get, and this is going to be my new catchphrase, we need to move from resistance to revolution, but it starts with resistance. Yeah, no, it's absolutely critical that we start with the resistance, because I, I got to say, you know, I've talked about this before he was elected. I was most afraid about his this sort of authoritarian kind of fascistic streak. And that is really what he's put on display quite effectively with these 20 plus executive orders, sort of the way he's gone about it, uh, including uh, what he's saying as he as he does this. Um, look, I want to I want to move fairly quickly into DeVos very specifically. But I, I wanted yep, to say, sure. as you as a master's degree in political <laughs> science, Matt, we if we were really doing it in a classroom, we might say it's neo-fascist. Yeah. But anyway, but that's uh, that's for that's that could have a discussion no, 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 for another I'm, time. Yeah. Sure, sure. I'm just I, I see some tendencies that well, are playing out. Right? Yeah, that that, that <laughs> certainly um, bring up the fears that I really had that go beyond just policy uh, disagreements. So to DeVos, um, Betsy DeVos, we talked about this nomination and the train wreck that was uh, the hearing that she had, and it has not gotten better. There's nothing that has really emerged that has proven that she's any more qualified for this position and uh, or put to rest, uh, as Bernie Sanders says, that she's only here because she's worth billions and has contributed billions to the party. Um, so the upside is this outbursting of democracy. We have offices, congressional offices, flooded with calls. There's uh, reports all over Facebook, all over the news of uh, boxes, uh, inboxes filled, congressional leaders turning away people. Um, and that is the upside is that uh, they're feeling the pressure. And, and DeVos is the center of that. We now have two Republican senators uh, this week that came out and announced uh, that they will not be supporting uh, Betsy DeVos. So we're at 50-50. We need one more. One more. So who's the one more? How does that happen? <laughs> uh, we all call <laughs> our elected representatives. Well, look, yeah. I don't know. In the new world, uh, a great independent is like Lamar Alexander. We'd never <laughs> think of him that way. So that's like how scary kind of the target list is. Yeah. Uh, but I was going to say, Matt, just like Jordan brought up the, you know, who we are and who's us, right? You said unqualified. The question is qualified for what? 
if qualified for undermining public schools and taking a bulldozer uh, to them, then she has probably highly qualified. She's been one of the ringleaders of the whole movement to undermine public schools. But of course, she's not presenting, this is the bait and switch, not presenting herself that way. They tried to present her as qualified to run the U.S. Department of Education. Right. Yeah. Well, look, there's a number of uh, senators that are up there and possible that they may flip. Apparently, uh, a Deb Fisher in Nebraska. So if you have friends in Nebraska, we ought to be uh, getting them to call her office. She's apparently someone who is thought of as more of a supporter of public education and not uh, a, a diehard voucher supporter. So, uh, But look, our Senator Ron Johnson needs to keep hearing from folks on this issue. Uh, he's certainly been wavering and saying weird things as it relates to health care. Uh, we don't consider him somebody who's uh, necessarily open, but definitely needs to feel the pressure on this one. So before we move to state-level stuff, um, we have to talk about the uh, the Gorsuch nomination and the complete circus <laughs> that is already happening around it. First of all, the way Trump released this. Wait, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, an extensive this. series of tweets. It's, building anticipate. Matt, it's Matt, so this weird. is about building the excitement. Oh. This is, you know, making Twitter great again. <laughs> Seriously, if you feel like The Apprentice, it's like his. this is his new, you know, who's going to be. And he probably does view the Supreme Court Absolutely. judges like his apprentice. I don't think he actually believes there's a real, that this, this is, is an equal check or balance. It's like his, he thinks he's this guy's his apprentice. It's kind of like The Apprentice. It's also kind of like Shark Tank. <laughs> but yeah, so he had this big announcement, uh, his primetime announcement, and then uh, a very strange and awkward handshaking moment that shows he's a bizarre individual. But so here we are. We've got Gorsuch, clearly very conservative. This is somebody who, by all accounts, uh, ideologically uh, sees himself aligned with Scalia, even brought to, to tears. To the right of. <laughs> brought to tears about Scalia. By the way, yeah. uh, The Daily Show, amazing. They apparently play, they played a clip of him talking about when he found out about Scalia's death. And he tells a story about how he was skiing. <laughs> and he was in the middle of a mogul run. And he was brought to tears and could barely finish his mogul run. So Noah Taylor is, of course, doing this great impression of him trying to fight through his tears. And, and then, of course, describes this. Could this be any more white of a story? He must have had a great hands-free device to receive this in the middle of that uh, this information. Well, anyways, I mean, how'd that go? Uh, all right. We got to get serious so, here because this presents serious challenges as to actually how should the Democrats really be responding? How do we respond to the Gorsuch nomination, both as activists, but then what, do we, what should we be expecting out of Democrats? And I don't buy into always highly qualified, right? Uh, I didn't get there. I didn't even get a chance to say that, but Robert. That's the, uh, that's, that's the narrative even even some Democrats said. Correct. Like, oh, he's qualified. Well, what does that mean? He's taken horrible votes uh, on voting rights, on the rights of, of uh, people with disabilities in the country. It goes on and on. And if we're going to normalize this kind of far-right judges that claim to be originalists but actually are, are completely rewriting our Constitution to meet 21st century right-wing doctrine, then, uh, you know, we're, we're just going to... We're just going to lose uh, basically the history and the values of this country. And there's that. So, But laying that aside, the bigger question is what they did. President, this should be a President Obama appointment, okay, period. And th there was no real argument there. They just, and so they, they, they just used their power brutally not to allow the appointment. And the Democrats essentially are allow themselves to be bullied. I mean, almost have, have kind of, um, you know, uh, bad, uh, 
syndrome of someone being battered, right? If they just give in to this and you hear some of them like Joe Manchin already saying, oh, it would, we'll lose the rest of the American people if, if we act this way. Well, they didn't pay any price for acting this way. And there's no, you need at least, at the very least, some step in the direction of a consensus candidate as Merrick Garland was, because he was not some great progressive appointment. Uh, but we instead we got a doctrinaire far right winger that could do things like overturn Roe versus Wade. I was just going to say, I mean, what do what do I want Democrats to do? I want them to filibuster this. I want them to throw, you know, hissy fits about it. I want them to act like the GOP in not allowing Merrick to come up for confirmation. Um, you know, the government should actually, you know, be a tool that works. Part of me is kind of like, oh, God, we really need people to not be disenfranchised from government to see this continual fighting. But come on like i i just i'd be fine with democrats being obstructionists about this because um my lady parts and the lgbt community and you know all of the things i care about depend on this nomination yeah i this is huge and the 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 idea that we push to normalization and how we're going to handle this process is insane to me given the times we're in and of course the history of the, the Merrick nomination over the last year. So we so we had that, right? And it, quite frankly, is disappointing that it wasn't a bigger issue in the election, right? Because it's really a stand-in for everything we care about, right? And this guy, now 49, could be on for years and years, decades, right? Decades. Um, and decades we had... Decades of legislating from the bench, from a right-wing perspective. Absolutely. Let's just say and, it. Let's just pretend that these are judges, okay? And that's why it's important to have the perspective of the year and that we went through an election where we did not have some kind of mandate, right? Now, admittedly shocking that Trump won, but he did not win a majority of the voters, right? And so the yes, notion... <laughs> yeah, so the notion that we would then be jammed with a Supreme Court nominee that absolutely doesn't reflect anything remotely close to where the public is in in division that's right. is wrong and and that's what the democrats need to stand and mention what's his name again i can never pronounce it joe from west virginia uh, joe mansion but let that's insanity what he is saying the notion that first of all did, has he been paying attention to what trump's been saying and getting away with the notion that the public is going to hold him responsible no well these for, these guys don't know principle? politics whatsoever i mean he's completely i mean that just has his own ridiculous, ridiculous theory of how we would build anything. How is that ever going to help West Virginia? So if he's brilliant like Scalia, and we know more about him than I, we know about, uh, less about him than Scalia, uh, the sense that Scalia was brilliant, and apparently Scalia was hung, to, hung a hangaround if you happen to know him, which isn't that many people. So, But aside from that, Scalia was brilliant at finding some way to make all of the, the writings of the founding fathers, the constitutional convention, and all of the jurors, all of the uh, precedent in between, to f brilliant at finding some way to make it turn out every single time as a as a late twentieth, early twentieth century right wing dogma. And so, if that's genius, that's not exactly the kind of genius we need. And it's not really judging; it's something else. It's not really interpretation of the law; it's twisting of the law. I just hope that the notorious RBG lives forever. <laughs> Look. Uh, 
again, we started this podcast by being excited about people <laughs> really stepping up and and We're protecting democracy. I no, I do. I think it's important, folks. Make sure you contact uh, your your senators on this here in our state and let them know. I mean, this is this is a huge issue. And I mean, with Senator Baldwin, I mean, it's important that she be talking to her colleagues about why this is such a critical issue. So, and not that I don't think she is, but it's important that they hear from us and that we not just view this as yet another like cabinet nomination, right? Because it's much bigger than that, Robert. Yeah, and I know we're going to state issues, but before we close, we shouldn't spend much on this. But the statement in uh, Donald Trump's firing of the acting attorney general was uh, proto-fascist, ever was one. She's a traitor. She's soft on terror. I mean... This was the kind of stuff you would expect to come from the Politburo at an earlier age. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear you're moving closer to my fascist statement. Makes me feel a little more comfortable. Though I, went, I, I doubled down Ooh. on the communist metaphor, though. You might have noticed. So anyway. Well, Peter Rickman will be very happy to hear that. Uh, so there we go. With that, we are going to move away from the craziness that is our federal government, move to the, the, what, the level of government that we already knew was crazy, uh, and we are going to have a special guest to start talking a bit about the state budget. We have spent some time talking in the podcast here about our alternative budget that we released a couple weeks ago and have been taking around the state. And part of that budget is we say that we ought to get rid of this man-ag tax credit, which is really a tax loophole and giveaway to, to special interests. And we talked last week about how Representative Gordon Hintz has been really all over the place uh, talking about why this is wrong. And that continued uh, this weekend. He was on, I think, Capital Sunday and uh, taking on the manufacturers, uh, Wisconsin manufacturers and chambers. Uh, uh, manufacturers of ah, WMC, I can't speak today, taking them on in, uh, on this issue. And so we wanted to have Gordon on to talk a little bit more about why he's fighting this issue so hard and a little bit more about the state budget. So yeah, we're really excited to have State Representative Gordon Hintz with us to talk a little bit more, not only about the state budget, but very specifically about the Manufacturing and Agricultural Tax Credit, or tax loophole, and how it is costing the state significant amount of resources. Gordon, thanks for joining us. Hey, glad to be back. Thanks for the uh, kiss. Yeah, no problem. I, I, you know, we don't know each other well enough, but... Uh, you have been you've been a real leader on this, and th we see this here at, at Citizen Action. We see this as a really, really, really important issue uh, because it's basically a tax giveaway where there's virtually no accountability. So, tell our listeners a little bit more about why you're working so hard on fighting this, and how you see this fitting into the broader sort of what I would describe or democratic agenda. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's really important as we're heading into the next budget that we revisit some of the worst decisions over the last six years, um, you know, as a, as a way to pay attention to what might be new and coming, and they hopefully learn uh, from those mistakes. But, you know, in review, on the last day of finance, at the 11th hour, with no hearing, with no testimony, uh, Republicans inserted, uh, you know, this tax giveaway in the state budget that expanded over six years, and now that it's been fully implemented, uh, cost the state a considerable amount of revenue. Um, in fact, by the end of the 2019 budget, it will have cost the state $1.4 billion 
Uh, at the time the decision was made, the forecasting showed it would just cost $128 million a year. Uh, the reason this, uh, you, you know, is so it's expensive, it's incredibly ineffective because it essentially eliminates the liability, tax liability, um, for corporations or businesses that reported as personal income. And so we've got something that's expensive, that is ineffective because there's no requirement for job creation or investment in capital, but it also disproportionately benefits uh, high-income earners. In this case, 75% of that tax credit went to people who earn over a million dollars a year, and in fact, $22 million went to uh, 11 individuals who earn over $30 million a year. So, uh, you know, it, it has to be one of the least efficient uses of tax policy and budget policy. And one of the things I like to remind people of is, you know, Wisconsin's economy, even though it has grown below the national level, it's still been growing. We had more revenue in the last budget than we did in the budget before, yet the state was still cutting K-12 education, was still cutting the UW system. And if people want to know why, it's because tax cuts like this were awfully expensive and they were a bigger priority for this administration than those investments in the human capital of the state. So, Gordon, this is Robert, and uh, great work on this, uh, particularly ahead of the budget, because I think we want to try to shape the debate before the uh, governor budget, Governor Walker's budget is released next week. But it all depends what the policy is for. You said it was highly inefficient. Well, it's highly inefficient if you're trying to create more jobs for people across the state, because you could do something much more targeted and accountable, and you build, can build a valuation in, which they chose not to do. But if it's a big, away, big giveaway to WMC, one of the biggest, most powerful interests that was behind Scott Walker's whole career, then, then it's very efficient at doling out money to very wealthy people. Uh, and so, and also, if they really meant it as some kind of targeted expenditure, you'd think they'd be concerned about it now costing triple what it was supposed to cost, and would be trying to adjust it in some way, but you don't get that either, which goes back to my original point that this is about giving away uh, the public's money to powerful interests that are manipulating the system that are behind your career and not not about helping people across the state in any way, shape, or form. That, that's exactly right. I mean, in fact, you know, in the last budget, we did, we did amendments to not even get rid of it, but to simply delay its full implementation uh, because it was you know, we didn't have the money to pay for it without cutting um, and, and quite frankly, borrowing money to keep us in the black. And it's been incredibly incredible how quiet they are. I mean, you can imagine if we had an expenditure program, I mean, look at the DOT, for instance. The audit showed that there was cost overrun uh, three times the amount. Well, we've got a tax credit that is now cost three times the amount it was supposed to cost, yet we have none of the outrage, you know, that we see when, um, you know, which is, you know, it has the exact same impact on a, on a budget. We have none of that outrage, and uh, it's really telling. I think it's very telling, and it's a tax expenditure, right? So it, it costs the schools just as much if it runs over. But if we if, if any school district was triple what it was supposed to be for its budget or, or God forbid, anything to help low-income folks in Milwaukee, can you imagine the outcry from them? That's absolutely correct. I mean, and that's something I've tried to hold up the mirror to kind of say, you know, why, because this costs three times the amount, are we not delaying or not revisiting this? Um, you know, and quite frankly, it's like you said. I mean, I think there are different priorities than uh, the people of this state, than the you know, children of this state, and then the future of this state. Um, and, and that's something that we need to remind ourselves of and remind the public of.
want to thank you for getting out and really making this issue public. And, and we're encouraging people to, to really be active and responsive. We, we talked about how impressed we are with the way our democracy in, uh, is responding to the actions of Trump and what went on with the Muslim ban over the weekend um, and all the other issues. But, you know, this budget... Uh, Walker yesterday announced that he's rolling back his $20 million cut to the earned income tax credit um, and is actually maybe putting some more resources into to, uh, public education. We think these are woefully inadequate, but it's at least moving in the right direction. And we think your effort to get out front and others on these issues, uh, we think are really critical. So we want to thank you for that. But uh, before you go, could you at least uh, give us an idea of, you know, looking forward, uh, Governor Walker's going to introduce the budget on the 8th, um, what you expect or what, how, how you and your colleagues, Democratic colleagues, are going to, uh, you know, go forward and, and sort of respond to Walker, or at least in your case, get out front of Walker and help uh, try to shape this debate. So there's maybe a price to pay for uh, a lot of the positions that they're going to take. Yeah, well, in this case, I mean, Governor Walker is essentially you know, uh, going to introduce a budget, and the state does have more revenue, although I think uh, on paper it's inflated and awfully optimistic. But you're talking about a governor who is going to run on uh, trying to restore some of the damage that he's inflicted on the state the last six years. I mean, sure, money for rural schools is great, but part of the problem with funding for rural schools is the cut of $1 billion to public education over the last six years. Uh, you know, he's been teasing all the things that are going to be in it, but my guess he's not going to receive, might give new money to the UW system, but it's certainly not going to make up for the $250 million cut. So, I mean, he's going to try to ride in on a white horse and save the state from the problems that he created. And I think that's something that, needs to, you know, we need to remind this guy. I mean, it's, a, it's sort of a level of delusion. Um, you know, the next thing is, is transportation. You know, I know it's been complicated and there was an audit, but at the end of the day, six years of Scott Walker have created a huge problem with massive borrowing that's starting to have an impact on other programs because of the indecision. And, you know, Governor Walker is a lot of things, but he's not a leader because a leader requires making tough decisions actually paying for things, not kicking it into the future. And quite frankly, I'm not expecting his budget to do it. And we need to call him out on, you've had six years, you've made the problem worse, and you're not a leader. Well, Gordon, we appreciate your leadership. Uh, it's going to be more important, especially as we head into, we'll have a governor's race in two years, and uh, we need uh, people to, to have a vision of uh, what we ought to be fighting for in 2012 and beyond. So we really appreciate you laying out some really important markers for everyone. And hopefully we'll have you on again as the budget goes, goes down the process, if you're interested to tell us more as it goes down the road. Absolutely. Uh, there's no shortage of material that uh, bad things happening and uh, just <laughs> doing. Well, Gordon, we appreciate it, and uh, thank you very much for joining us today. All right. Thanks, Dan. So, obviously, uh, Gordon and this Man-Ag tax credit's a big part of the budget, and we mentioned on previous podcasts that we have this Wisconsin Budget for All, which is an alternative budget, and Man-Ag tax credit is a part of that. But, Robert, this week, uh, the the budget hit the road and went to both Wausau and Eau Claire and uh, got a lot of media attention, got a lot of people out really trying to get attention uh, for for this alternative look at how we should actually uh, go about our state budget. Tell us more. 
Yes, and not not Governor Walker's budget. That's next Wednesday. Uh, but a Wisconsin's budget for all, the budget that we, it's just an action that Wisconsin's kind of children and families and each and other groups put together that shows we could make big investments if we got rid of things like the Man-Ag tax credit. So, sorry, Robert. I didn't mean to confuse you with yes. Walker's uh, Wisconsin budget for a few. So Ken Taylor from the Council Children and Families and I were did events in Wausau and Eau Claire with the co-ops. Uh, the Citizen Action Wisconsin organizing co-ops, the Western Wisconsin one in Eau Claire, and the new and developing North Central one in Wausau, and had big events, got tons of TV and uh, newspaper coverage, editorial board visits, the whole nine yards. And so there's a lot of interest uh, in this. Uh, over 60 people turned out on short notice in Eau Claire, and it was cold and windy, too. We did that one outside. So we're really trying to set this up before Wednesday, next Wednesday, when Walker introduces his budget. In fact, it looks very likely we'll have an event in Appleton for Northeast Wisconsin with our new Northeast Wisconsin co-op on Wednesday morning, so the morning before of Governor Walker's budget address. And we can do things like free college technical, uh, techni technical college education. We could actually deal with the opiate epidemic. We could actually get rid of lead pipes rather than just uh, pitching a few pennies in that direction. Uh, and we'll see Walker's running around saying he's giving things to people. He said he's going to give a big increase in the earning of tax credit which we have in this budget, but all he's going to do is reverse his previous cut, which is not exactly That's visionary. Something. And then he's for uh, real screening and treatment for uh, young people in high schools for, uh, for uh, 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 opiate abuse and, and, uh, and other addictions, but he throws in $100,000, which I think we, fit, we, uh, we figured out that each school is going to get like, uh, like 100 bucks. so that's, that's not really going to go that far if, you're, if you have an epidemic. So just for example, so this budget shows, and we'll have the link to it again with the podcast, it was Cousin Budget for All, what we could actually do if we stop giving our money away to powerful vested interests like WMC that get politicians like Governor Walker and the state legislature, uh, the majority there, elected. So, Robert, what you're saying, that $100 per school, maybe we should start drug testing students. Think that'll be in Governor Walker's budget? Well, they run around saying that. We're not actually for that, <laughs> as you know. We're for uh, actually, actually uh, having questionnaires and interviews and then working with any kid that Correct. might show an issue. Uh, but there's been talk about the forced drug testing on the other side, but they probably wouldn't pay for that either. Yeah, even if true. they, you know, the only things they'll actually pay for is huge tax giveaways for their for their uh, their funders, their 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 real backers. So there was other news this week with our governor. Um, Governor was in Washington meeting with Donald Trump and, and and his people, and apparently the governor is back to pitching Act Ten as a solution for the country. But but first he was really sick and he couldn't unveil his rural education plan. He was really sick. Apparently but, not. Too but he sick managed to, fly. to travel and you know raise <laughs> yeah. money and speak. and kind of look like Kids Day at the Oval Office, sitting in the chair with uh, the his orangeness looming over him from behind. That was quite so the picture. Uh, but then, of course, his orangeness was supposed to visit us and Jorna. That didn't happen, did it? It didn't. It did not happen, and we everybody was all a flutter with what was going to happen and what kind of protests. And you know, the interesting thing I think that it's worth noting as we are talking about what the progressive response is to this administration is that it's not just your typical activists that are coming out, right? It's people that I ride horses with. You know, I go to the barn as my safe space to not talk about politics. And everybody's like, Jorna, what do we do? How do we get involved? You know, people that I never thought in a million years wanted to take it to the streets or would call their elected officials. So, you know, people are are definitely 
mobilizing, and we managed to, I think, chase Donald Trump out of our state for fear of protest. Harley was like, um, we can't have you here because that's not good for our business image. And just to be clear, I, we should have said this in the early discussion, uh, there's new polling out that shows that the Women's March is be- better known than the Tea Party was at its height, and is something like 38 points more popular. Just uh, when we talk about creating a Tea Party, we're already creating something much bigger than the Tea Party and much more popular than the Tea Party. Well, and again, so this goes back to overall why we have to stay engaged in this. Um, look, they're they're pushing policies that not only aren't widely popular, but they haven't been successful, right? Walker going to D.C. to push Act 10. It's not like you would see from our economy or just overall how we're getting along that this it's is helpful. lowering wages to make the economy prosper theory, right? But, but what it does accomplish and what Trump might be very interested in is it weakens labor, it weakens the opposition. It was a pure political power play by Walker to dis... To basically take labor's resources that supported Democratic candidates and and functionally uh, remove most of them or marginalize them to the point where they're nominal compared and, to the opposition. And, and by and, the people, so this would be huge for Trump. By the people who made Scott Walker. Yes. So the same people behind Man Ag are the people who are behind Act Ten. Uh, Walker is simply doing their bidding. And so Trump would be very interested in this, right? This fits in with his mm-hmm. anything that would do to kind of. Uh, quell or silence the opposition. So it's certainly something that we're going to continue to watch, and we would not be surprised to see it become a core part of the Trump plan uh, as we go forward. So with that, though, we have uh, a couple of things we just want to mention. Of course, there was a huge redistricting lawsuit victory that broke after our podcast last week. Um, has tremendous potential implications. Uh, also some perils, right? It's a uh, thrown it back in the hands of the jackals who produced it. Um, but nonetheless... The original maps, you know, the rigged ones. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to have Sachin Chetta on next week, who knows all the details. And we'll talk about where, not only, you know, what the ruling was, but where where we think this is headed and what are the potential opportunities for us to engage in this process going forward as progressives in a way that can actually help build our movement. Um, so we'll have him on next week. Also wanted to mention uh, the retirement of Anita Johnson, who has worked for a long time here at uh, Citizen Action. Uh, we're actually doing a retirement party Thursday evening. Most folks will this will be after uh, will be before the podcast comes out. But we wanted to say thank you to Anita Johnson and the tireless work that she's done for years here at Citizen Action and before Citizen Action at AFSME and a number of other places. Uh, her work around voter ID and helping folks get access to our democracy Democracy was uh, instrumental in 2016 and certainly inspiring. So we're going to miss her here at Citizen Action, but we expect we'll see her around in her retirement a little bit. Anita is one of those people that makes everyone better. You feel like you're a better person just getting to work with her. Yeah. So we're going to miss her, but uh, congratulations, Anita. You uh, very much deserve retirement. So one thing before we go, we have to uh, celebrate and uh, talk a little bit more briefly about uh, yesterday was the launch of the new Progressive Radio here in Milwaukee. We talked uh, with the owner of the station last week, but uh, Earl Ingram from Milwaukee 
uh, is now leading off in the morning, 7 to, to 9, and we have a full slate of shows. Six, six to 8. 6 to 8, I'm sorry. And then weekends. There weekend you go. afternoons as well. Saturday so afternoon. we really want to encourage our listeners to listen into the show, call in, right? Be active participants in the show, uh, getting this thing off the ground at start with very little uh, advertising uh, is a difficult thing. So uh, please patronize and listen to the show and help try to find uh, and encourage people to support and, and sponsor the show. And we don't overclaim things, but uh, here we try not to, uh, but... We introduced Earl Ingram, Citizen Action did, to the owners of the station. And we worked with Earl when he was a host here at 1290. Actually, I worked on introducing people around the country, so he, he did a lot of national hookups and the like. And he's very progressive, and he has a real, he's a real story. He actually worked at A.O. Smith, was a manufacturing worker in Milwaukee, and knows the devastating impact of outsourcing and deindustrialization. Uh, and so this station now is not just about white progressives. White progressives are crucial, but now it's going to include an authentic African-American voice, and that's the majority of people in the city of uh, Milwaukee. And so we think this is a huge step forward for the movement. And it's 1510, News 15, 10 Talk Radio 1510 on the and, dial. And Earl will also be on 12 to 3 on Saturdays. And his goal is to go out into the city and go to events and attend events. So if you have things going on on Saturday afternoon and you think Earl should be there live to cover them and, and make sure that people understand how diverse our city is and our events, call Earl. And more importantly, you should call 1510. You should tell them to put on a special music critique show, Brian Wildridge and I. Oh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. Shameless think, plugging for how they awesome do need we are. Content, so I, who knows? I think that's a different station. Isn't that 889 that you guys should be uh, barking, barking at? Progressive Music Critique okay. by All Jordan right. and Brian. All right. Well, that's an excellent start to the furlough. We know what you guys will be doing this weekend. So, so the local content now in the station is the, the Devil's Advocates and Mike Crute, uh, the lead devil is the owner of the station and his company is and then Earl Ingram and then you have a lot of national hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, um, uh, a number of others. So it's it's you know that we've not heard these voices on the Milwaukee airwaves probably ever. Well please give them a listen and by the way this is much bigger than Milwaukee you can uh, there's there cover pretty much all of southeastern Wisconsin all the way to Madison uh, during the day. So give them a listen. With that hey Jorna Anything going on interesting this weekend that um, doesn't include uh, politics or horses? And I'll say no racing. Uh, well, I mean, I have a horse show this weekend oh, on Saturday, right. but I'm going to actually pull a Robert, too. Okay. And on Sunday, I really, really, really need to get caught up. So I will be very busy working on Sunday. During the Super Bowl. I During the Super Bowl, it. because sports balling and sports there's no balling. local sports team and who cares? So, Robert, who's going to win the Super Bowl? That's what everybody here really wants to know. Falcons might be better that the Patriots have so much experience and are so well coached that they're going to figure something out. That's but I don't I don't think I want that to happen. But that's my guess. I'm going to go with the Falcons. I actually think the Patriots are finally done. This might be the last gasp of Tom Brady. And I didn't even know who was playing in the hoodie. Come on, <laughs> it's George honest. versus Reno in the. Uh, <laughs> Pre-game, um, uh, George wins. I believe there's a commercial like that. So, folks, 
We want to thank you again for being active progressives. Listen to the new radio show if you can, and make sure you're contacting your legislators about these, uh, both uh, the, the DeVos and the Gorsuch nomination. So with that, we want to thank Brian Woolridge, our producer who makes it happen every week and is apparently trying to leave us for another radio show. Uh, <laughs> and is, when he's moonlighting. And of course, we want to thank uh, Representative Gordon Hintz for joining us to talk about the Manate tax giveaway. And with that, we'll see y'all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin Podcast.